Carrie, I am tired today. Did last week's go episode go up? Yeah, it's been up for like two weeks. Oh, you, you didn't post about it. Okay. You didn't you didn't listen to it, did you? No. I, We're gonna lose a fan now. We're gonna lose a whole audience member. That's like 20% of our audience if you don't I don't listen think to I've, it. I've re-listened to any of them, honestly. We're gonna lose 20% of our audience because no, of this. No, so you're not gonna lose. Yeah, Tuesday is probably my least favorite day. Is today Tuesday? Yeah. Ooh, that's you're like because Monday you had the weekend to rest, but like Tuesday, you're just exhausted for Monday, but you're not anywhere close to Friday. I agree. I think Tuesday is the worst day of the week. The bad day, yeah. There's there's nothing good about it. <sighs> no, I agree. Well, in case you didn't know, uh, welcome to Run Pint Option, the college football podcast where two friends talk football while one friend enjoys a choice pint. It is, in fact, Tuesday, August 23rd, and I, Brendan Lyman, am enjoying a lovely pint from Hardywood. I'm enjoying the Virginia Blackberry Ale. Ooh. Joining me today is my co-host, Kerry Cronbard. He writes about the Big Ten's Blue and Gold team. No, not the Big Ten's successful Blue and Gold team, the one on the West Coast, UCLA. Kerry, how are you today? It's, that's amazing blue to you, sir. Um I am. I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, you know, doing all right. It's uh, Tuesday, which is not the day of the week that I thought we were on. So, uh, do you think it was? I thought it was Wednesday. Uh, that's. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But of I'm course, sorry. I know it's not Wednesday because if it was Wednesday, then this episode would already be out and published because. We come out to you on Wednesdays now. That's right. Big news here. That's not even in our chat lineup for the episode. But beginning this week, on August 24th, when you get this episode, we will be in your feed every Wednesday through college football season. So stick to it. Uh, we will try to stick to it. You like, share, subscribe, run pine option. But Carrie, as you know, this is where in our show we would read and play correspondence from all of our listeners, all five of our listeners. We had seven. We're down to five. I don't know what that means. Going the wrong direction. That's not good. <laughs> this is not the way that we can make money uh, doing this is by going to this direction. But alas, maybe we'll get picked up as a meme stock on that there uh, internet that I hear so much about. <laughs> but this is where if you want to write us an email, we will read your email out on there and discuss it live on this episode or in a future episode since we don't have any for this episode. Our email address is runpintoption at gmail.com and better yet, you can always leave an audio message thanks to Anchor. Um, all you have to do is click on the little link that's in the show notes uh, and you can leave a voice memo that we will play live on air and discuss and it can be anything it can be intelligent it can be unintelligent it can be unintelligible and we'll make fun of you but since terry we don't have any correspondence i thought we might move straight into talking about our topic this week so we're coming off of a great live episode from big 10 country washington dc where <laughs> terry and i were able to actually meet and share a meal in person and we discussed all of the things we're looking forward to in the 2022 football season. And so, Terry, do you know what we're talking about today? I think today we're talking about uh, the things that we aren't looking forward to, which, which, there, which there are some of those as well. Uh, That's right, Terry. Just all smiles and unicorns here. <laughs> College football being the sport that we hate to love, we are talking about all of the many things that we are not looking forward to in this upcoming football season, because as you said, it can't all be unicorns and upsets. No, we will have to deal with some bad takes, bad message board takes, bad callers into the Paul Feinbaum show. I think they still broadcast that on SEC Network. I don't even know. We'll have to deal with the SEC Network. We'll have to deal with SEC Plus, and we will have to deal with unending speculation that is entirely unintelligent about what college football is going to look like in 20 years. Mm. But, Terry, to start off, I thought we might uh, dive into a little bit of a bigger topic about what we aren't looking forward to. And for me, the number one thing that I am not looking forward to 
as a fan of West Virginia, who is in the Big 12 Conference, as our fellow Big 12 Conference foe, and having to hear that Texas is back. Quinn Ewers is the quarterback, and this is going to be the uh, the saving grace for Steve Sarkeesian and Texas is back, and I heard they're, they're already booking their tickets for the college football playoffs. So, Kerry, I think that's always the number one thing. We, we can go into many other fan bases too, but the big one for me is Texas. Um, let's just admit it right now. They're not back. I'm not looking forward to hearing from their fans. No, yeah. It, you know, this was an announcement that came with all the hype and excitement and, you know, false optimism that you would expect from any sort of Texas announcement that is not going to be backed up by results in any way. Um, it's interesting to me how this plays out because you have, first of all, you have Quinn, Quinn Ewers, 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 I don't know, um, who, you know, went to Ohio State and then didn't play a snap and then left, went back to Texas. So a million he, dollars richer, I do believe. Right. Though. So he's got a lot riding on him at this point just because, you know, it, it certainly wouldn't be the first uh, uh, number one recruit bust that we've seen. That happens all the time. So not saying he's – I think he's going to be. But, um, you know, to play at the University of Texas, especially after, you know, cashing in at Ohio State and then leaving, you know, for the questions for – and nothing wrong with that, but certainly it's going to – you know, raise some eyebrows among people who um, aren't, you know, so attuned to that sort of mindset quite yet. But, you know, the interesting part to me is, is, is you have Arch Manning coming in. Is it a year or two years? Is, is it... It'll be next year. So Arch yeah. is entering his senior season in New Orleans. Right. So, you know, does that mean Quinn has one year and then it's Arch time? I mean, I, I'm very curious to see how that dynamic plays out because, you know, Quinn, I don't want to say he's on a short leash here, but Arch Manning is, he's got Manning for a last name, first of all, but he's essentially, you know, from everything we've seen, he's Peyton Manning, but he can run. And that's a scary, uh, that's a scary thought. So, you know, again, regardless of what happens with either of them is, you know, what kind of pressure is that on top of all the existing pressure that Quinn Ewers already has, how is that going to play out? Does he just get a gear and then it's on to Arch Manning? And on top of that, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting that, you know, Texas is now um, potentially going to find a way to have back-to-back, you know, elite five-star quarterbacks and, you know, still, still, uh, you know, not get to the promised land and be quote unquote back the way they want to, because, you know, if history is any indication, you know, that they've just been a program, you know, sunken in mediocrity uh, in the same way the Dallas Cowboys have for the last decade. So, um, you know, they're going to, expectations are going to be higher than ever. And, you know, this may seem cynical to some of our listeners, but I'm with you. I don't think there's any reason to expect that, um, you know, either of these quarterbacks are going to, uh, be able to take Texas to the promised land. It'd be interesting if they did, but it's just a lot of pressure and we haven't seen the results yet. But as you said, at this point, it's just, there's going to be a lot of hype surrounding it. And especially that opening week versus Alabama, which, you know, Texas is not winning that game, I can say for certain, but nonetheless, we're going to have to hear about it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, everything is more mediocre in Texas. Texas is what, probably the third best team at best in the entire state. And I say at best because I think Houston um, could easily make claim to that as well. Um, but you're talking about A&M and you're talking about Baylor, of course, who mm-hmm. um, are coming off much better seasons. Uh, and, you know, Texas missed out on a bowl game last year. Sarkeesian's in a second year. And we've talked about this before. Um, there is probably no more toxic culture in all of college football athletics than that exists at the University of Texas. Um, so, and I'll just add, Brendan, that not only did Sarkeesian miss the bowl game, but they lost five or six straight to end the season that were just yep. very devastating losses, giving up late leads, comebacks, overtime losses, just losses that kind of like um, are really painful ways to have be on a losing streak. And, you know, obviously that can't continue for year two in Sarkeesian. No, absolutely not. And I think you make an excellent point. I mean, what does Texas do next year? And, you know, if we're looking at both, you know, Quinn and we're looking um, at Manning and we're looking at Sartesian entering into what will very likely be a red hot seat into year three of his tenure there. Um, that's not a good situation for anybody. And there is no way that Texas is going to correct it. And we know that the leashes are very short at Texas for quarterbacks and coaches themselves. So, you know, I'm not looking forward to the Texas's back conversation if they do enter in, even if they enter in at five and one or something. I'm not right. looking forward to that. And let's also be very clear. Texas is not going to 
play in a college football playoff. They're not going to play and win a Big 12 championship because they're not even going to be in the Big 12 championship in all likelihood. Right. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah, and last time we heard Texas is back, it was uh, from Sam Ellinger after uh, beating Georgia in that bowl game. It was one of those, you know, off Jake Fromm games, and it was that typical, you know, the SEC team that just misses out on the – on the college football playoff, I think they had, you know, almost beaten Alabama the week before and they're sort of, you know, flattened their sales uh, then for their bowl game. We've seen that time and time again. We saw it with Florida uh, after they, I think, you know, put up 50 on Alabama. Then they went and, you know, lost by multiple scores to Oklahoma. I believe that was the same year. Um, but yeah, no, that, you know, Sam Ellinger uttered that phrase uh, after the game. And, you know, I think that was the 2018 season and maybe 2019 I think it was the 2018 season yes and and since then we've seen them uh you know Ellinger had a pretty good finish to his career there but we you know we saw I think Tom Herman got uh two more years there and not not able to you know their defense really regressed they weren't able to finish it you know I think the pandemic year was the year that they uh lost that game to Iowa State when Sam Ellinger took that sack and you know you heard the five-star culture over a five-star players comment, which is, you know, comes back to light when we're talking about these five-star quarterbacks that are coming into the building. And again, now you have a lot of hype over Steve Sarkeesian, who I I hope is successful. I think he, you know, second chances are great. I think he's a good coach, you know, I don't head coach. I don't know, but coordinator, he's phenomenal, but um, you know, it's like you said, it's it's a pressure cooker down there. And and this is not, you know, if, if, if they don't see results quickly, which like you said, they're not because the expectations are so damn high you know, it's going to get ugly very quickly. No, absolutely. And, you know, honorable mention here, as long as they're on the is back train, I'm going to throw into Miami um, because already um, I think, you know, I'm hearing that Miami is back and they have a preseason ranking and, you know, Miami's going to, you know, be probably in the ACC championship game and all these things. And let's be real. Miami hasn't been relevant in college football for 20 years. Miami is not back because they hired Mario Cristobal. A coaching change in his first season does not reestablish a program. And the fact is that, you know, we can talk about the slide that Miami has been on for two decades. But I think it's also important that we mention that this has been at a time when it has been the easiest road for them to be relevant. The ACC is not a good conference. The ACC just period is not. And this sounds very taky and so far, but I mean, it's the truth. I mean, outside of Clemson, I mean, what we had Pitt play Wake Forest last year in the ACC championship game. I mean, there's no reason that a program like Miami should be confined to tier two in the ACC. And while I think Mario Cristobal could be somebody um, that turns this program around and you see they are making massive investments financially into the program. The fact is that the Miami of 2002, 2003, um, I mean, these kids are, these kids that are in college now weren't alive when Miami was relevant. They have no idea what that culture is. Um, And not that that culture, I don't think could be successful today anyway, but you know, and you look at how Mario Cristobal left Oregon, um, you can say a lot of things and I just don't buy that Miami is much like Texas. I don't buy that. They're going to be in the ACC championship game, you know, come December. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting point, an interesting program to bring up. You know, they had before Cristobal, it was uh, Manny Diaz, I believe. And, you know, he, he actually went on a winning streak, I think to finish the season was looking okay. Starting to write the ship by current Miami standards and, um, I, I remember there was some controversy over, you know, how they got rid of him that, you know, there were some feelings that they did him dirty when we talk about, you know, coaches and, you know, the impatience that we see in college football and they go for the big name in Cristobal who did a really good job at Oregon, uh, who uh, is a phenomenal recruiter. Um, at the same time, this, you know, is very Miami because he was a player at Oregon. And once again, this is, or excuse me, at Miami. And, you know, this once again, Miami trying to you know, live in the past and recapture the past. And that always never seems to be, you know, a good, uh, a good mix. You know, we, we saw with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, while, you know, they eventually succeeded, they fell short of expectations for years. Um, and like you said, that culture is gone. And they also have the issue of, um, you know, their, their stadium is off campus, similar to 
uh, what UCLA deals with when when I look at you know the Rose Bowl and that stuff. I think that it's that's that's something. I remember Herbie was talking about this a few years ago. It's hard to you know have a team identity when you're playing in an NFL stadium, you know, all the way off campus. So uh, yeah, it, like you said, they've they've had an easy path to the title game and they haven't taken it. So um, you know, regardless of whether Cristobal is the guy for the job. And, and I think there, you know, I think he is a great coach and a great recruiter. I think there are some holes you could pick in his resume. You know, he didn't finish great at Oregon um, at the end of the season last year. I think, uh, you know, he didn't, we know, we now know how talented Justin Herbert is. And I think that pistol offense wasn't a great fit for him. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know that he's, he's not Nick Saban, obviously, but he's a good coach. But again, you know, once you try to, when, trying to do it at these bigger programs is a lot different than, with, you know, some of these toxic boosters and culture is a lot different than, you know, doing winning at smaller programs. I mean, we see, uh, you know, uh, obviously Dan Mullen in Florida, but he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, a different kind of personality, but you look at someone like, um, uh, I don't even remember his name, but the current Auburn coach, who was phenomenal, phenomenal at Boise State, and they're running him out of the building already, you know, having to deal with, you know, just these forces that are bigger than one single person is something that, um, you know, is very challenging. So like Texas, I think we'll see the honeymoon for a bit. I think we'll, he'll be able to do whatever he wants the first season. And then, you know, if you don't see results again, it, it will, the seat will start to heat up inevitably as it always does. Absolutely. And, and Brian Harson, there, it's a, it's yeah. a great point that you make there. Um, and speaking of mediocre states, um, you know, the state of Florida is even more mediocre than the state of Texas is. I mean, without Miami getting what I would argue is an unfair preseason ranking, considering they have done nothing um, and they have a new coach and no culture. Um, but that that's the state of Florida's only ranked team in the AP top 25. And we can say a lot about preseason rankings. There's a, a lot of reason not to put much weight into them. But the fact is that shows you no Florida State, no Florida and even no UCF. Um, you know, that shows you and the fact that we're talking about UCF not being ranked um, shows you kind of how those three big programs and the state of Florida have fallen off. And you think about, um, you know, high school football recruiting, uh, Florida and Texas are two of the top three states, arguably with California, definitely two of the top five states. Um, and, you know, the fact that the flagship schools there can't even get ranked in the top 25 preseason, except for, you know, some speculation that, again, undeservedly so, uh, that that says a lot about how far those programs have fallen. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to throw this one out there because we've alluded to it a little bit. But one of the things I'm not looking forward to, Terry, um, is midseason coach firings. And I know that we've got some uh, picks coming up later, but, you know, the big one there, obviously, is Scott Frost. I think everybody uh, is expecting Scott Frost could easily be dismissed in the first, uh, maybe just after the first month of the season. Um, and if he loses to Northwestern, he might not even make it to September. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something I'm not looking forward to is midseason coach firings. Well, Scott Frost is fascinating. I mean, when you talk about doing it at a, at a smaller program and not being able to translate it, I mean, Scott, and, and also, you know, trying to recapture the past. I mean, Scott Frost, perfect example that I had a Nebraska fan who was thrilled about Scott Frost. I think they're, they they broke record ticket sales for the spring game the first year he was there um and it's it's it, scott frost in particular is kind of a weird inexplicable trajectory because he um he he flipped ucf over in 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 two years from a program that i think had one win to an undefeated program he built a culture that uh maintained and you know probably landed hypo the job at tennessee um, and then to go to Nebraska where, you know, this legacy program where he just has everything and, and it just, he hasn't been able to make it a winner. Now it hasn't been terrible. I mean, they've, they've lost a lot of close games in really tough fashion. Um, but certainly this was not what they expected when they hired him. So yeah, that, that's going to be rough. And, and yeah, in general, um, it's always, it, it, it never makes you feel good when, uh, when that happens. Um, something that I personally am not looking forward to uh, last week or however many weeks ago we last met, I guess it was two weeks ago now, um, to talk about what we we're looking forward to. I talked about, you know, the return of Michigan football, the band, the stadium, all that fun stuff. As a Michigan fan, I am not looking forward to the Harbaugh disappointment and slump late in the season. And what's difficult about being a Michigan fan is uh, every season under Harbaugh turns out the exact same way, no matter what kind of team you have. You uh, you start the season on a winning streak or you lose maybe a game or two earlier, then you have a mid-season winning streak, and then you slump to end the season. You lose, you know, you lose to your rivals, you lose your last two or three. They haven't won a bowl game 
um, since Har 2015, since Harbaugh's first year at Michigan. So, um, you know, that's unacceptable. I want Michigan to win their last game of the season. I want them to beat their rivals. They were close uh, in Michigan State, but they kind of choked the game away. Um, they did get the win versus Ohio State last year, which was phenomenal. And then, um, you know, just totally overpowered by Georgia in the playoff, which, you know, as understandable as it was, was still a disappointing way to end the season, especially considering the fact that many people tab that to be, you know, sort of a low scoring game. Um, and it ended up just being a uh, total and complete blowout. So, you know, I think there's going to be at least one of those, you know, disappointments, you know, on the road, uh, you know, this Michigan style, which has happened way before uh, Harbaugh too. You remember, everyone remembers the App State game. You know, this is a program that uh, has a reputation for choking in big games. And uh, it's just painful as a Michigan fan because you know it's going to happen. And uh, they have Ohio State on the road this year. Um, you know, I think the the win against Ohio State was was phenomenal. Like I said, the goal is to, you know, I think Michigan was drinking a little bit too much of their own Kool-Aid when going into the playoff. And I, I certainly, you know, if you look at the comments of Georgia fans, they felt that way. Um, you know, Michigan tends to do that. Michigan fans tend to do that. You know, the goal should be not to beat Ohio State once. It should be to be competitive against Ohio State. Not, I, I'm not expecting them to win every year, but certainly to win more than once in 20 years. So um, that should be the expectation. And I hope that this program, you know, is able to kind of grind and internalize that mindset, but it is worrisome that last year might've just been a one-off and that they'll go back to sort of being this, you know, average program that, you know, has a great atmosphere, but always is destined for disappointment. And then on that big 10 note, um, and as much as we make fun of the big 10, we are also not big 10 fans, um, but we do give them a lot of airtime on this podcast and sometimes even broadcast from big 10 country. But on that big 10 note, um, one of the things I'm really not looking forward to and this speaks to the fact that college football is the sport that we hate to love is I'm not looking forward to Urban Meyer returning to <laughs> the desk uh, over at big noon kickoff over on Fox before the big tens, big, you know, 12 o'clock East coast um, games. I mean, and this is a guy and we're going to go into this too. I mean, uh, there's a lot happening in the media landscape, but this is a guy who instilled a toxic culture everywhere he went right there are stories back when he was at utah there are tons of stories from when he was at florida there are stories when he was at ohio state and finally he goes to the nfl and he coaches the jacksonville jaguars for kind of a season i mean you know he barely made it to the season he almost got fired before the season started because of controversy and he learns that you can't you know, necessarily treat professional football players the same way that you treated college kids because they actually have power because they're being paid and they have their own platforms that aren't being controlled by the school. And it comes out that he still was instilling a toxic culture right. at a terrible, awful, mediocre Jacksonville team. But nonetheless, all of this comes out. And what does he do? He goes back to the studio. He's going to be you know, essentially how Fox has it set up is he is the lead horse of that show. And that right. is a disgrace and an insult to all of the players who had to suffer under Urban Meyer's, you know, toxic, abusive culture. And right. it, it's embarrassing for Fox um, now that they have really entered into this huge media landscape and it's going to be them and ESPN. It's embarrassing. I agree. I think that's a really good point. Um, it's the epitome of falling up, which, which we see so often uh, in the, in the college football media landscape. Um, you know, when Urban Meyer first came to Fox, he was the guy that, you know, sort of, he was a big part of their media strategy in terms of competing with ESPN and, you know, branding this big noon kickoff show. It was essentially the Urban Meyer show. I mean, there are a lot of other guys on that set. We don't really know or care about any of the other guys. It, it was, it was Urban Meyer and, and to his credit, he did a really good job in the studio. And I think Urban Meyer can look, the guy knows the X's and O's of football as well as anyone. And he could probably go to a chalkboard and talk about stuff in a ways that, you know, he's a coach that other people couldn't, but um, you know, to have him as the face of your brand at this point after, you know, some of the allegations, you know, from players and staff, right. I, I mean, everyone came out to just talk about, you know, what a toxic culture this was. This wasn't just uh, him being mean. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, hard coaching in the NFL and in college, this was, you know, a grown man who, was abusive, like you said, didn't know how to treat people, enabled abuse within his program, within uh, other programs. And, you know, how often on Fox have we seen him talking about the, you know, just in terms of this, you know, facade of, of uh, brand of, 
you know, um, moral moralizing that we see in football and in, you know, right wing politics too, to cover up just sort of the rot underneath. We saw that with Urban Meyer, he taught a leadership class at Ohio State and at Fox, they were always going to him to talk about leadership. Your team is in this program. What do you do? What do you tell them? Coach, give it to us. So, you know, that is the part of it that like, he has no credibility left after what happened in Jacksonville from that perspective, from a coaching perspective either, but, but certainly from that perspective. And so to bring a guy like that back on and act like, oh, well, nothing happened. I agree with you. Uh, it's it's a little questionable at best but you know this is also fox if you look at fox not not only fox news but definitely fox sports i mean they 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 like to poach the more controversial figures you know i, I believe they picked up um skip bayless after he uh went down um you're right colin cowherd yeah um, you know a lot of the guys that these other networks drop they pick off they pick up and those programs end up I think Whitlock might have been, even been there for a while. Those programs end up being successful. So, you know, it's part of their media strategy a bit that, uh, you know, people won't ultimately care. And, you know, it, it does work for them, but I agree with you. It doesn't mean we should commend it. No, you're, you're exactly right, Terry. And, you know, I mean, this isn't going to say, obviously media is different than, um, than a college athletics department, but you need only look to see how, with the exception of Utah, which is now, you know, more than a decade and a half removed from Urban Meyer, you need only look at the ruins that he left behind um, at Florida and, you know, even some of the things that have happened at Ohio State um, over the years and stuff under his tenure, you know, there there was not necessarily a positive culture everywhere um, that he left. And even when they had positive results on the field, you still saw it. Ha- Ryan Day did an amazing job instilling a culture at that program early. But it also took the fact that you had Ohio State that has this big built-in cultural brand the same way that we talked about Texas uh, being dysfunction it really was the fact that Ohio State is the Ohio State has that built-in that was able to beat back Urban Meyer but you know if when I'm looking at thoughts kind of starting out um oh in 2019 with the big noon kickoff and you know obviously they're expanding more and more and they're going to be one of the two marquee networks now really taking over cbs's spot do you really want to have your culture being built on that foundation it just you know it goes into some of the things that we've talked about before in terms of what is the sustainability of the landscape and the media landscape in college football and when you have clowns like urban meyer coming in to help build that foundation for something um you're much more likely to to look like uh florida um who as you've alluded to with dan mullins hasn't necessarily turned their culture issues around uh than you are to to look something you know, like a successful program like in Alabama, but neither here nor there. Um, you know, the media is another big thing here. Um, and I alluded to it there. Fox is replacing CBS really as kind of that big number two. And one of the things I'm very much not looking forward to, um, despite the fact that I think ESPN does a fantastic job for the most part on college football, is I'm not looking forward to the end of the SEC on CBS um, at the end of this season as it migrates over to ESPN. It obviously gives the SEC a lot of options. Not only, you know, are they gonna, they've owned that marquee 3.30, Central on CBS. You know, when I think of the SEC, I think of CBS. And as much as Gary Danielson annoys me to no end um the fact is that him and Vern Lundquist there for for all that time and you know now Vern's obviously retired and moved on but nonetheless that that is the SEC there have been more than a few marquee games um it's a great opportunity for the SEC as they'll have they'll own really the prime time as well as that mid-afternoon slot but it's an end of a tradition um that you know is something that is just more and more happening as we've discussed before in terms of the media landscape. And at the same time, you know, just this last week, um, we see kind of what the repercussions are when you have the big 10 walking into a a billion dollar deal across three networks. And so there's a big shift in media happening right now. And that's another thing um, I'm not necessarily looking forward to as this is kind of the last year uh, that of what we have known to be normal. It's a massive shift. I mean, this news came out. I probably had more. I had so many questions. I, I, I read a bunch of articles about it, probably had more thoughts about it at the time than I did. And I'm going to remember now just because it, it's such a massive shift. And I, you know, 
now I was trying to juggle preseason football as well, you know, as exciting a product as that is. Um, but yeah, no, the, to your point, I think the SEC on CBS, you know, as much as, you know, being a, a Michigan fan, I never connected to it and, and wasn't quite an early 2010s college football fan that I personally didn't connect to it. It's something that, you know, means a lot to a lot of college football fans. They love the music. They love uh, just, you know, their branding was the best game uh, uh, on from the best conference. And that was, I think that there was, you know, with a hundred college football games on every Saturday, they, they had one game and, and it always was the best game. And, you know, when you look at some of the things they broadcasted, you know, the Iron Bowl kick six, right? Like games like that, you know, the nine to six game, you know, uh, again, it, they are, it has been, you know, the SEC has been defined by CBS for decades now. Um, and it was a big deal and it, it, it's a massive shift. Um, Gary Danielson, I, I, one of the funnier uh, comments I read about this on the athletic article was that, I can't wait for Gary Danielson in the middle of a Michigan State Purdue game to find a way to talk about how great Alabama is. Um, but uh, yeah, they, so they they're keeping the music uh, because which most people were happy about. Um, they they released a promo for it, but uh, it sounded weird in the watching Big Ten highlights behind that music. I mean, that is that is the SEC music. It was just a strange thing. Um, but it's worth you know just discussing what exactly the future of college football is going to look like under this deal. Um, we could talk about media in general and, and the corporations and the fragmentation and the, the, the paywalls behind it, which is some a conversation I was having with a friend the other day. But with respect to this in particular, um, Kevin Warren, you know, like it or love it or hate it, has done a phenomenal job of really like we talk about Big Ten country. He has he has expanded the Big Ten to be um the conference right now we talk about you know is this going to become an afc nfc thing we talk about is this going to become fox espn it truly is now uh you know murdoch versus the maps you know fox versus espn and you know espn being the sec and fox um now being the big 10 and and the the dominance that they uh have in the schedule now you essentially they're going to have the noon kickoff game on Fox and then CBS is going to keep their 3.30 slot to have another Big Ten game. And then NBC is going to have a Saturday night college football broadcast for another Big Ten game in prime time. So, you know, this is pretty unique and a pretty dominant deal for um, the Big Ten across three different networks. Um, you know, it, it is interesting the fact that, you know, CBS kind of bowed out of the SEC deal, but then um, you know, purchased for a lot more money, the Big Ten deal, you know, ESPN is able to save some money on that respect. So I'm curious, you know, it, I think it certainly makes ESPN a smaller player, but they may have, you know, had the more thrifty deal and they're not going anywhere because they own the rights to the college football playoff through at least 24, maybe 26, I believe it is. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a shift to how we know college football. You know, for me, this will be the first time. And again, as a Michigan fan, I, I, I'm connected to the Big Ten. This will be the first time, I think, in 40 years that ESPN will not air any home Big Ten games. Um, and and that's, that's uh, you know, that's a little bittersweet to me. I think, you know, ESPN has kind of been the face of college football for better or for worse. And, you know, their broadcast, their music has been, you know, they've sort of defined the sport. So to have them move out of it uh, is certainly, you know, a little, a little bittersweet for me as a, as a Michigan fan, but, you know, we'll see, we'll, you know, the, the arms races will only continue. We'll see, uh, we'll probably see ESPN pick up maybe the, the probably the PAC 12 or the PAC 10 now, uh, you know, probably the big 12 and some other schools, some of the smaller schools that are moving to the, to the power five. Um, so, you know, it's just going to keep escalating, but right now, Kevin Warren and the big 10 absolute winners and what is a massive deal. And one more thing I will note, you know, there, I don't remember the number, but it was, I believe billions of dollars for this deal. Um, again, you know, this really brings to the light, you know, the fact that everyone wants to talk about, you know, the NIL deals, which are, you know, a lot of money, but are still, uh, pocket change compared to what the networks are getting. So when we, when you hear the old brokers of the sport talk about, you know, the athletes being entitled and, you know, be, paying players running the sport, just remember uh, the disgusting amount of money that the networks were getting and props to CJ Stroud for coming out and saying, Hey, uh, players should get a, a, a fair share of the network deals. And they absolutely should, you know, the college football is a pro sport right now and uh, it pays money. It's even bigger. It pays, you know, it creates more revenue for everyone involved except the players. So, you know, there's no reason I agree with Stroud that the players shouldn't get a piece of this media rights deal. No, I, I completely agree with CJ Stroud's comments there. And, um, but you're right. I mean, 
this is it was just over a billion dollars between the three networks for the Big Ten. And, um, you know, this is a new era. Um, but you're exactly right as well that, you know, the entrenched powers that be will have issues with somebody like when yours walking away with a million dollars without necessarily playing a snap um, at Ohio State. But they they have no issue uh, with conferences who, let's be real here, um, don't necessarily have any interest in making the sport the best thing that it can be walking away with a billion dollars. And, you know, as, as we've ranted about before, athletic directors and athletic staff that don't care about anything but keeping their jobs and the bottom line of a checkbook. Um, so, you know, but speaking of the old guard, uh, one of the things I'm not looking forward to is Mike Leach. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, going back to that Urban Meyer train of toxic culture. Um, you know, Mike Leach might give a funny press conference. Um, I'll give him that. He he is an endearing person uh, when he's up there with a microphone in front of him, answering a question and going off on a tangent. Um, but this is the man who locked players in a broom closet because they had concussions. This is a man who is incredibly toxic. This is a man who, you know, frankly, if I had a kid, I would not want my kid playing on his team. And that's before we get into the fact that he's somebody that is incapable of change. He's just right. incapable of change, Carrie. He's somebody right. that's going to go out there. And this is what I'm not looking forward to is I'm not looking forward to Mississippi state going out there and pulling off a win against Auburn, um, a mediocre Auburn team, and people talking about Mississippi State and them getting up the number 24 in the ranking, and then they go out the next week and they're going to go lose 63-7 to Tennessee. Literally, yeah. Or they're going to put up 10 points against a Vanderbilt team that is horrifically awful. Like, this Mike Leach's air raid offense, I'm just not somebody who's going to call him a genius here because in reality, he's just a stubborn old man who is going to toast his way to seven wins, whether it be at Washington state or Texas tech or Mississippi state. And, you know, in conferences like the PAC 12 or, you know, the, the big 12, even, you know, you're, you can get up to 10 wins sometimes because the conference is down and you have a scheme and just pure athletes that put you in a position to win games that you couldn't necessarily win otherwise, but that doesn't work in the sec. And the fact is that Mississippi state here, the only reason they're relevant is because Mike Leach gives some funny answers in a press conference. And everybody still thinks for some reason that the air raid is this fun gimmick that involves a genius behind it. It doesn't. It doesn't. Running four verticals, I can do that on NCAA football. Right. You do do that. You're one of the most frustrating people to play on NCAA football. That's because I am an offensive coordinating genius. Yeah, right. You're just a genius, Mike like, uh, Mike Leach. No, I, I, you bring up a lot of good points. Mississippi State did better than I expected them to last season, but my expectations were low. Uh, you know, um, I, I agree with you on both fronts from, a, you know, personality perspective he's a heavy trump supporter and and just not very bright guy i mean he's openly talked about this stuff and i remember he's famous for you know said some negative things about obama and famous for an exchange where i think he quoted a a fake uh tweet about obama a fake quote from tweeted a fake quote from obama someone pointed it out to him and he uh still refused that it was fake and he still refused to back down from his initial sentiment um, so yeah, just kind of a, a close-minded old, uh, you know, not very smart guy. And, you know, I, I think you're right. I, I never understand when programs hire coaches that can't get to the next, can't break through at one at a lower level and think that it will happen at a higher level. I mean, Leach, you know, would pile up numbers against poor Pac-12 competition. But I remember the year with Gardner Minshew that, you know, in the, in the, head-to-head game against for the Pac-12 championship against uh, Washington. Washington won that game. And that's sort of, you know, those big games have been losses for Mike Leach. Uh, Again, you know, his philosophy, he doesn't care about time of possession at all, which is why, you know, he'll lose a game, a bowl game against Air Force because he'll hold the ball for 10 minutes total. Um, You know, uh, he, he, he doesn't try to run the ball, um, which exposes his offensive line in the SEC way too much. Um, but yeah, like going back to my earlier point, you know, so he couldn't get it done the Pac-12. What makes you think he will the SEC? 
level, similar to Brian Kelly um, at Notre Dame, right? So, um, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that respect when it comes to Mike Leach. And yeah, there there are different types of air raids. I think, um, you know, it's a constantly evolving philosophy. And you know, Lincoln Riley's air raid has been, you know, is basically shouldn't even be in the same conversation as Mike Leach's air raid because he's built it around the running game. He's evolved um, with the times. Um, now, you know, it, it, it didn't end spectacularly in Oklahoma and, you know, still hasn't figured out how to coach defense, but, you know, what he does with kind of scheme and route concepts, whereas Mike Leach just goes five wide and runs and runs crossing routes. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that it takes a genius to do that. I think probably when it was first invented, it was a great tactic at the lower levels of, uh, of the sport to, um, you know, bring, when you didn't have elite athletes to, I, I don't even remember where it started, uh, what school it started at, but it was some, it, Kentucky. It, yeah. It, um, but you know, so at, at that time it was something that, you know, could be advantageous, but in today's age, you know, Mike football or Mike Leach hasn't changed in 20 years. So, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And, and, and even Cliff Kingsbury, you see, he got, you know, fired from Texas tech, same issues, couldn't coach defense. Um, I think, you know, Kyler Murray's, I don't think as good as people think he is in the NFL, but having said that, you know, Kingsbury, it's just a lot of wide receiver screens all game. It's just not a very creative offense. And that's, it's not a high volume play offense. It's about repetition more than it is about play design. So, you know, um, but moving on from that, cause that's already too much time on Mike Leach. Um, one thing I'm not looking forward to is, uh, the college football playoff and specifically the college football playoff committee. I mean, this is a system where, you know, we talk about the parallels to politics. This is like, this is like what the electoral college used to be, right? You have a bunch of people in a dark room kind of churn out a, a result and, you know, give a half-assed justification for it. And guys that, you know, as much as they, you know, leave their, uh, leave their um, allegiances at the door, these are guys that are invested in, you know, higher level programs that are ADs for higher level programs. And that's part of the reason that, you know, it's an invitational and we see, you know, them kind of bend their own logic to, you know, move in the programs that they want, but it's, it's inconsistent logic all throughout. Um, it's, you know, it's when they want it to be, you know, strength of schedule, strength of schedule, when they want it to be the quote unquote eye test, then it's that, and that gives them some flexibility to slide the teams in and out that they want. But, uh, you know, we wanted to get rid of the computers, but the college football playoff has brought no really consistency or, you know, trust from the fan base into the process. Um, you know, now by the end of the season, you know, it's usually clear what's going to happen because, you know, you have conference champions and, you know, it, it kind of works itself out. But, you know, on the way there, you see all, you know, the, I think the coaches poll is a much better indicator of, you know, where college football is because these guys are just sort of struggling. And it's such a they make it such a televised, you know, event too. you have an hour long reveal and um, it's just sort of a frustrating thing. And there's, they're always going to, there's going to be a controversy and, you know, it's going to, they're going to do something wrong and they're going to keep a, a smaller program out. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's been a frustrating thing to have to deal with. And I'll, I'll just add to that. The college football playoff itself is, I think, you know, there's no reason this sport shouldn't have uh, a larger playoff. It's more exciting. You'd have home field playoff games. You'd help bring excitement to even the recruiting field. Um, you know, uh, the, some of the status quo bias you see where people say, oh, the regular season is the postseason. And, you know, that's not true for half the cupcake schedule for the non-conference schedule that is weak, that is incentivized to be weak under a college football playoff system where you can't have more than a loss and get in. Um, but, you know, just getting more, even if Alabama is still the winner, just getting more programs into the mix, having a more exciting product, like you see at the lower levels of college football. And, you know, if you wanted to reduce the number of games for injury's sake, there are uh, places in the schedule that you could do that. You could probably even get rid of conference championships if you wanted to on some level. So, um, and you could bring some objectivity to the process in terms of, you know, having automatic qualifiers for um, people who do win their, win their conference or, um, you know, have the most wins in their conference. Um, but yeah, for me, college football is always the most exciting start to a season, but it's an incredibly anticlimactic finish to the season. And that's because you have a tiny playoff that is, uh, you know, not a good product and that is a month away uh, from the end of the season and a bunch of, you know, bowl games that are not interesting, but only exist because of the money of, you know, the bowl programs to, to uh, that make in, in supporting those games. So I think when I look at what I'm not looking forward to, it's the college football playoff committee and the college football playoff. I, I mean, I think that's fair. And, and to your point on bowl season, going back to the media conversation, um, 
you know, the the biggest owner of bowl games, not media rights, but bowl games is ESPN. And right. so, you know, you do you get a lot of mediocre um, sits and sets occasionally five and seven team matchups. And and that's not to say, look, those bowl games matter to fans. Those bowl games matter to programs. They matter to players. Um, and that can't be taken away. Bowl games matter. But one of the things I don't look forward to is I don't really care to see Eastern Michigan play Middle Tennessee State, sorry, Joey, um, when they're both seven and five or six and six and they're playing in, you know, Detroit. I don't care to see that. It's not entertaining to me. I would much rather see a nine and three Sunbelt team, Coastal Carolina, App State, Marshall now playing, you know, a seven and five, eight and four Mississippi State team, for example. Um, So, you know, I I very much agree. The postseason is something that the journey is what is special about college football. Um, And occasionally we get, you know, that that one shining moment, um, college basketball reference there. You know, you think about, you know, the touch overtime touchdown pass, um, Alabama, Georgia. Um, You think about even college football playoffs in the semifinals. The uh, the first year in the Rose Bowl um, was a great game. You know, you get these great games, Clemson, Alabama. you know, but for the most part, it is about the journey. Um, but one of the journeys I am not looking forward to is I am not looking forward to the Wisconsin Badgers offense. You know, Terry, as a um, somewhat Wisconsin alumnus myself uh, and had season tickets for two years that we were up there, there is nothing more pitiful. We can talk about how bad Mike Leach's air raid offense and simplistic it is, but my word, at least they realize they can throw the ball, Carrie, because I don't think that Wisconsin has figured out that they can throw the ball down the field past the line of scrimmage. And that's not saying that there's something wrong with running the ball with an elite running back like Jonathan Taylor. There isn't, but my word, Carry. This team is the most simplistic, one-dimensional, run it up the middle. We're not talking about 1925 here anymore, okay? We're not. This, I mean, there's been so many evolutions in college football offenses. Many of them have now gone all the way into the NFL, as we talked about in a previous right. episode. But Wisconsin is so stuck in their ways. Paul Christ is so incapable of change which is a theme um, that we often return to in college football, but he's so stuck in his ways that here you have the highest rated quarterback recruit in the history of Wisconsin. This kid came in Graham Mertz as a better recruit than Russell Wilson. And, you know, to another thing, I'm not looking forward to people who care more about recruiting or the NFL draft prospect than what happens during the actual season. Um, And we can have a whole episode on recruiting misses through and through because the stars that are attached to a name don't mean anything on the field. Um, But my word, I mean, throw the ball, throw the ball down the field, throw the ball down the field. And actually, I don't know, come into at least 1995 in your offense. I mean, it's embarrassing. Yeah. And you've seen them uh, struggle, you know, to develop quarterbacks within that offense. I mean, Jack Cohn, uh, you know, went to, I believe it was, Florida State last year it was or might have been Notre Dame no it was it was Notre Dame I think wherever he went he he was better right because it was a more modern offense and they were actually able to put up yards um it's it's just not a a quarterback friendly offense and I think a lot of that has to do with um just sort of you know this old school mindset it's Wisconsin it's cold Paul Christ is like he's you know he gives off some Mike McCarthy vibes you know we're just we're just going to run the ball because that's what we do Brendan and and how many coaches you know how many coaches believe that right believe that you know it's it's about what we do versus you know lot you know and screw logic or screw analytics it's about what in my heart I know is the right way to do things and certainly uh yeah, Wisconsin, um, and they haven't been relevant for a few years. Uh, you know, they I remember they had a Big Ten championship versus Ohio State back in 20, uh, I want to say 2018, and they came out blazing in the first half, and um, Jack Cohn had a phenomenal first half, and it was like they ran out of gas. Like every single passing concept and, you know, they had, they used in that first half, and then, and then they it was exhausted over. the playbook. Yeah, no, it's I, I remember this exactly what happened. So, uh, 
yeah, I, I totally, um, you know, get with you on that. And then just, you know, quickly to go back to, you know, the earlier point about, you know, some of the, you know, poor matchups we see. One thing I'm not looking forward to is, uh, you know, the, the super hyped games that are going to be terrible, right? <laughs> you know, the games that, you know, college football does not have a lot of parity, let's be real. And, you know, Alabama, Texas is not going to be good, a good game. Um, also, they're just going to be games that are going to sound good on paper and end up being, you know, three score blowouts because you see a lot more of that in college football than you do in the NFL. So um, that's that's always, you know, disappointing because, you know, college football, like you said, it's in the journey and you have a lot of excitement for what could be. And by the end of the season, it's going to be the same three or four teams for the most part, um, which is why the beginning of the season is so exciting. And then, yeah, also like things like the Bedlam rivalry, which, you know, might actually now that now that I think about it, now that Lincoln Riley's gone, Oklahoma State might could be better now, but in the past it's been, I don't know why it's called bedlam because it, it hasn't been, you know, it's just stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think, you know, as, as great a product, you know, I think when college football games are good, there's no better product, but you know, the consistency of that is kind of, kind of week to week, kind of, you know, swing or miss. And that's something as a fan that you just kind of accept about the sport. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, the last two things I'll add to what I'm not looking forward to. And uh, I promise our five listeners who will return to seven next week um, that we'll get a lot less uh, hot taking back to your boring run of the mill. What are the big picture points in college football as we move through the season? But, you know, realignment. Um, I'm not looking forward to the realignment rumors, the horrible bad takes that continue to exist. The people that think that for some reason Vanderbilt and Rutgers are just going to magically get dropped out of their conferences um, I'm not looking forward to to all of that and the rumors and and just the general uncertainty, although uncertainty is the normal in college football. And, you know, the last thing and this has to do with a realignment team. So there's my transition. Um, you know, I am not looking forward to teams that get too much credit for nothing. And, you know, starting off, as we talked about preseason rankings um, a little bit, and the fact is that they don't matter. Preseason rankings do not matter. Um, and oftentimes are just non-educated guesses uh, to that one coach that voted Texas number one. Um, we assume that that was a troll, but nonetheless, they, they don't matter. But USC being ranked right now, you bring in Lincoln Riley, you bring in a lot of transfers. That's great. But USC is another one of those programs that, you know, frankly, hasn't been relevant since 2008, um, right. in all honesty. And there's no reason that people should be pitching them to win the Pac-12. There's no reason that people should have them ranked in the top 20. Um there's there's just no reason and the thing is as we move through the season one of the things that is exciting is you get teams that get on a hot stretch there will be teams that will start the season five and oh seven and oh um that have no business being there and they're gonna fall off and finish seven and five um and they'll rise in the rankings the issue is and this is where the ap poll is again an issue is that ap voters sometimes uh are a little emotional and they'll take a team that's unranked and move them up to 14th because all of a sudden they're seven and zero and they have a, a big win. And we could look, Mississippi state might be one of those teams who knows, you know, that um, given their schedule, they're not going to be lucky if they make a bowl game, but there are going to be a few teams that that happens. And essentially you're giving them credit for playing an FCS team two group of five teams that aren't even good. We're not talking about, they're playing Coastal Carolina here. Right. We're talking about they're playing, I don't know, Georgia Southern. Um, you know, and they're going to win three easy conference games. All of a sudden, they're 6-0, and and they're going to be sitting at number 19 in the polls, and people are going to be talking about, oh, they could win their division, and they're going to finish 7-5. and five. And that happens too much. And right. that is not, to me, I don't like that. It's not exciting. And it, it one of the issues with all sports um, and media landscape is that, you know, we get kind of takey. And uh, those are some of the worst takes or in-season hot takes on teams that aren't very good. Well, um, I'll just add to that point quickly. I'm not looking forward to, uh, you know, Penn State and James Franklin getting a fully guaranteed contract. Perhaps there's one of those teams, Penn State. No reason at all. And they started 5-0 and last year and finished 2-7. and And not that I want them to be successful, but, you know, I'm not looking forward to the hype that we're going to get uh, when they start the season strong and have a whiteout win, um, because the whiteout, as you know, our, our you know leader and charisma man Urban Meyer once said, you know, the whiteout's a ten-point swing, um, which I I would generally agree with. You know, they're gonna they're gonna have a great atmosphere for that. They're gonna get some win, and and they're not gonna make the college football playoff because 
Um, you know, they haven't been able to run the football. Their offensive line has been a mess. Their quarterback play has been a mess. Um, and James Franklin, you know, is has been one of the more overrated coaches recently. Um, so, yeah, that that is a team that I'm not looking forward to uh, the hype because I've seen the story too many times and they've been on the verge of greatness and they um, haven't even been able to be, get close to it when the when push comes to shove. You know, one of the great things about college football, Kerry, um, that I go back to, and we've talked about this in previous seasons and things, um, and, you know, next week as we get into um, a week one games, we'll do a little more of a full season preview of our thoughts. But, you know, believe what you see when you watch right. college football is something you always come back to. And even in, you know, what we know about the committee, um, we might not like and we might not agree with, but believe what we're seeing with them as well, but believe what you see with teams. The fact is that if you watch an entire season, that as you go into the last week of the regular season, you can pretty much tell who are the four, maybe five best teams that should and are going to make the playoff. Um, because over that course, you know, you really do understand what, who is good, who is not. If you see a team have a weakness, that weakness is going to persist. Um, despite the fact that they might have a number next to their name, that's in the single digits. And so believe what you see. Um, and that's a good transition, you know, for our newest segment, uh, for this season. And that is, we're calling it the RPO pick six. This is where some uh, clever music would happen if we had it, Carrie, but we don't have the budget for that because we only have no, five we listeners. We don't have the band here, do we? <laughs> we get up to uh, 50 listeners. We might be able to uh, afford some uh, transition music there, but this is going to be a season-long competition uh, between Carrie and myself and maybe some guest pickers along the way. Who knows? Um, and what we're going to do mm -hmm. is we're going to pick the six big games of the season, and then we're going to each go for an extra point. Um, and how the extra point works is that we can choose any matchup and we're going to choose the winner of that matchup, but we can only use one team once per season. Uh, if it's a favorite and they went out right, you get one point. If they cover, you get two. If they're an underdog, the outright for the underdog is two. If they cover, it's one. Don't worry about it. We'll keep track of the points. We'll keep track of the teams. But we're going into week zero. And so for the RPO pick six. We have these sits best games. And Harry, let me tell you, there weren't there aren't that many games. Yeah, uh, these are not going to be educated guesses because I, I don't care about these teams and I know nothing about them. So like I'll I'm a, I'm gonna lead us. So like let's just, you know, I'll I'll make the picks, but like Florida Atlantic, I didn't even know that was a school. <laughs> <laughs> well, beginning on that one, the best game of this week zero slate. So we're not we... going to explain week zero because that would take another three episodes. Yeah, we might we might be here uh, <laughs> until next season if we explain week zero. Um, but the best game of this week zero slate and in Big Ten country all the way across the pond in Dublin, Ireland. Oh my god. We're going, we alluded to it earlier, Scott Frost, Nebraska's team, is going to go up against Northwestern. This is a big game for Scott Frost to start off the year. Um, it would be really interesting to see what would happen, frankly, if he's uh, allowed to make the trip back to the States if they lose to Northwestern. But, Harry, Nebraska and Northwestern, who you got? So I think when my mom asked me, you know, if, if football is back during week zero, it was sort of like that meme where I was like, well, yes, but actually no. Like, like yes, it's football, but it's not really football. Nonetheless, uh, Northwestern versus Nebraska. Um, I will take – I'll take Northwestern. I, I think Nebraska's, like, tale of tragedy will just continue, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I agree with you. I don't know what they're, what's in the water in Nebraska, what curse was put on the state. Um but I, I don't think that Scott Frost's team is going to come out there um, in a week zero matchup. I don't know how many miles, 5,000 miles, 4,000 miles. Northwestern can always play play defense against the lower tier teams of the Big Ten. That, that hasn't been a problem for them. Absolutely. So I, I also am going to go with Northwestern. Uh, looking at the second matchup, we have the only time that you're going to see the University of Connecticut on any television network um, that doesn't have some regional $50 pay-per-view affiliation, um, the University of Connecticut taking on the Utah State Aggies. Carrie, your thought? I think they actually do have a deal with CBS Sports, which is not a is, is not a 
your channel. But uh, yeah, I, I think Jim Mora is actually back at UConn, which does not inspire a ton of confidence for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Utah State. I'm going to go with the Fighting Aggies as well. Um, big Conference USA matchup, future uh, American team here. Um, we've got the Charlotte 49ers taking on the formerly Fighting Lane Kiffins of Florida Atlantic University. Uh, Terry, I'm going to go completely uneducated between these two teams. I think Charlotte, um, they've they've had a little bit of turnaround the last couple of years, made a bowl game there. Um, they've gone from the lovable two and niners, uh, as it was referred to in the bottom 10 on ESPN, to actually earning the 49ers nickname. Uh, yeah, I go Charlotte. Uh, yeah, I, I know nothing about either one of these teams. I will just, uh, I'll, I was going to take Charlotte, but I'll just take FAU just so we don't have the same pick here. Because otherwise, we might finish this week zero slate completely the same. <laughs> uh, Vanderbilt, under Coach Lee, uh, taking on Hawaii, going on a big travel. Of course, Hawaii, the reason why week zero exists. If you don't know it, look it up, read about 15 articles. You'll understand it still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, you know, Terry, this is a hard game because Hawaii is, so I don't know if you know this, but Hawaii right now, they don't have their main stadium. It was actually condemned. It's where the Pro Bowl uh, was held for many years. Um, and so they're essentially playing on their practice field with some bleachers, uh, much reduced stadium capacity and atmosphere. But Vanderbilt is is not, is just not good, um, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball. But I will go with the Commodores. I'll go ahead and take Hawaii. I think, you know, I, I didn't know that about the stadium. It's too bad. Uh, it's always been a fun stadium. I, I personally never understood why they moved the Pro Bowl back to the States, though, you know, playing in Hawaii was sort of the only appeal about that game. But, uh, you know, Hawaii, Hawaii is a fun place. It has historically had a fun offense. So, you know, why not take Hawaii? Moving on to our second Big Ten game. Uh, this one could be a, actually maybe might be the best game, uh, most entertaining game of the entire Wheat Zero slate, but uh, Wyoming and the world's worst uniform combination going against probably, honestly, the second worst uniform combination in the Illinois Illini. Um, Kerry, your thoughts here? Uh, I will go with Illinois here uh, based on, again, probably nothing, but uh, I know they've had a game or two here and there where they won over the past few years they're usually good for beating wisconsin when wisconsin's a double digit favorite that that was the beginning of wisconsin's downfall uh after that loss i'm gonna go with um i'm gonna go with wyoming and the cowboys here um you know they they do have a good culture uh former boise state coach out there you know i think um yeah i think that they're gonna pull off a, a win against the middling big 10 team uh, our last pick in the pit sets. This shows you how far deep we've got to dive here. Um, the Duquesne Dukes from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and shout out to, uh, to PJ down at the Garden Bar. Uh, his stepson plays for Duquesne. And uh, yes. not only are they going to get to go play Florida State, they're playing in week zero because they've got an away game in Hawaii. And so I don't know what's better for a Division One. Uh, FCS team than going to Hawaii on an all expense paid vacation for the school, but they're going to go against Florida State, who, uh, you know, that's another coach that is quickly on the hot seat. That's another mess of a toxic football culture left behind by a marquee coach and Jimbo Fisher and is not yet recovered. But uh, Duquesne and Florida State, Terry, I mean, I don't think there's much competition here. You know, I'll go with the Seminoles, but uh, it's not going to be a happy season in Tallahassee. No, who is it, Norvell, right now? Who's coaching? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, no, I think we'll go back to agreeing on this one. I'm going to take Florida State, although I would not be surprised if they lost because they're not, they've been a disappointment for years. But I, I don't expect them to, but wouldn't be surprised if it happens. And now we'll move on to the extra points. So um, we can choose any game and we will choose the winner here. And it's uh, basically one point uh, if you go with the easy favorite. Um, two points if the favorite covers. You get two points for the outright if uh, you choose the underdog and they win, or you get the simple one point if the underdog covers. Uh, again, not a huge slate to pick from, um, and so no worry here about eliminating my pick in terms of I'm not going to go back to them throughout the season. 
but I am going to choose in the Nevada New Mexico State matchup. Um, New Mexico State also, I believe, the Aggies are maybe the worst team in the FBS. Um, they are conferenceless, I believe. Still, they're basically um, keeping their football program alive for why outsiders can't understand but i'm gonna go with the nevada wolf pack who are somehow only a nine point favorite so i will go with new mexico state and i expect them to cover Uh, i'm gonna go with north texas against utep just because this is you know this is such a boring week of football that you know there there's a good matchup of teams that i will never have to worry about again after this week so no use in you know wasting any remotely good team this week we'll go with north texas and got it got a little bit of a spread not much of a spread here close to even so uh you know the not not too much to deal with there so we'll see what happens in this uh super exciting week zero yes we will you know it'll be good to have college football uh back when it gets off uh miles away in dublin ireland to trip the season off for some unbeknownst reason we have nebraska and northwestern playing there but um it'll be good to to have football back and um a lot more to talk about when we you know come back to you next wednesday um you know it'll it'll be on the eve of uh the return of the backyard brawl uh it'll be on the eve of uh, the return of uh real college football because you know none of the teams that uh we'll be watching this weekend uh we'll have a chance but this has been another episode of run pint option remember to like subscribe share get our uh listenership up to the double digits help us uh pay off some of these uh tickets that we bought for the season and uh we will see you again very soon for another episode of run pint option you know terry i uh i can't say that i don't other than the Vanderbilt Hawaii game because of Amy, I'm not sure that I'm going to watch a full game this weekend. A full game? Of course I'm not going to watch a full game. Uh, Am I going to watch any of the games at all? I think is the relevant question here. Um, There's a big NASCAR race on Saturday night, Terry. I mean, uh, I'd much rather... Watch I this still for got eight into into you know you took a picture there with Amy at a I don't know if it was NASCAR Formula One but it was NASCAR. Looked, she looked not unhappy. I, you seem to have converted her. I'm, I'm somehow I'm I'm very surprised. The, the secret is that you can uh, you're allowed to take a cooler and your own beer and food. So we went to the race in Richmond. Uh, was that um, uh, two Sundays ago? And Tommy came down from Alexandria, and so we had a charcuterie board, and we had uh, port wine and ton of cocktails and fancy beer, and you know we watched cars for around three hours. I'm sure it had something to do with alcohol.